Welcome to The Drift, your resource on all things business strategy, entrepreneurship, and leadership. I'm your host, Aloiza, and today's guest is Major League Soccer's former Senior Vice President of Consumer Products, Maribeth Towers. Maribeth is an extraordinarily gifted business development executive with experiences at Fox Family Worldwide, Warner Brothers, and serving on fundraising and advisory boards for 501c3 organizations. Welcome, Maribeth. Thank you, Aloiza. I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you. So let's go ahead and dive in. Can you share with us a little background on yourself and what got you started? Sure. So early career was in retail. I was a buyer for department and specialty stores, and that's where I learned uh, product development, product marketing, sourcing, all of those uh, components. Uh, Then I did a mid-career, a sort of early mid-career MBA in international marketing and finance at Pepperdine University out in Malibu. And uh, after finishing that degree, I I had took took the time to sort of think about, you know, what do I want to do next at this point and looked at a lot of different options uh, and ended up sort of back in a product uh, capacity with the studios. So that was back in the early days of Disney had been doing it for a while and Warner Brothers was really getting into it where they were actively uh, utilizing and, um, uh, you know, growing their merchandising and product as a component of their marketing campaigns for movies, television shows, cartoons, etc. So again, that concept had been around for a long time, but the studios were really, like I said, actively pursuing it as a bigger component within their overall marketing strategies. And it was, it was, if you think about it, it was really an influencer strategy long before that term was ever used. But that's the basis of it, right? You're creating merchandise that allows your fans to become your grassroots ambassadors for brands. So, you know, wearing T-shirts and headwear, a mug on their desk, they, like I said, they become a brand ambassador for a particular marketing campaign. And so in speaking to the folks at Warner Brothers, my retail background was of interest to them because obviously that's your partners when you're talking about putting product out in the marketplace. So then my time at Warner Brothers was started out in their retail development group, which was a fairly new division for the studio at the time, helped build that out, then moved to the licensing side of the business. So on the retail side, we were partnering with the retailers and having those conversations. When I moved to the licensing side of the business, that was actually back to products. So we were working with negotiating licensing agreements and working on product development with you know a slate of anywhere from 60 to 100 licensees, depending on the property. Uh, then took a brief stint at Fox, where I again went back to the retail side of the business and helped them build out their retail development group. Then came back to Warner Brothers on the licensing side. And then ultimately ended my time at Warner Brothers in a group called New Initiatives, which was an incubator group that the studio had created to take a look at uh, new business avenues. So again, that was early days of um, digital content, uh, looking at their library, etc. That ultimately led my to my conversation with Kathy Carter, who was the president of Soccer United Marketing at the time. She had just been made president. Um, and she had gained consumer products as part of her remit when she uh, when they promoted her to president. 
And so had a conversation with her about coming to New York and helping Major League Soccer build out, or actually Soccer United Marketing, which was the uh, commercial arm of Major League Soccer, build out their consumer products business, which was had been, again, obviously it was a business that they had been in, but they were looking to really invest in it. And that brings you up to speed. That's wonderful. You know, I think something that was a common theme throughout your thread of, uh, I guess, professional career is actually this concept of innovation. What was always so intriguing to me and frankly still is about product marketing is that it leverages the power of the consumers to take the brand outside of the brand. And what's unique about your roles through Warner Brothers and through Fox and then of course with Major League Soccer is that it really almost solidified this and correct me if I'm wrong as well, but it almost solidified this interpersonal mission of making a brand bigger than it actually is through whether that be products and then ultimately giving brands another avenue to be able to connect with consumers wherever they may be. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's really true. And I think particularly with regards to the product component of the types of brands that my teams were working with. So entertainment brands, like I said, movies, TV shows, et cetera. And then in the sports world, you're really, we were really working with, you know, the 30 clubs. So it was the club brands. You know, no one's a fan of the league. They're a fan of one of the clubs. And you're absolutely right. It's, again, I go back to, these are ultimately in influencer strategies. This is about giving your fans the tools to become your brand ambassadors and being able to own it. And to your point, you know, spread it within their circle of friends, their sphere of influence, you know, spark conversations, create buzz and noise. And again, like I said, arming them with those tools to be your super fans. Sure, sure, definitely. And you know, when I think about these brand alliances, partnerships, sponsorships, along that space, especially considering the fact that you were essentially leading consumer product initiatives for the big name brands, Warner Brothers, Major League Soccer, what would you say were some of the most important pieces in launching brand partnerships? I think it was the correct alliances, right? So obviously, you know, knowing your brand messaging, your brand values, what it stands for, and then making sure that the partners that you bring on board you know, are aligned in that same arena. So there's, there were times where we would have uh, companies and you know, other brands approach us and it just wasn't the right fit. So it's, it's good to be, you know, to be in a position where people are you know, excited about partnering with you, but if it, it has to be the right fit. And ultimately that's true for that outside partnership as well. So it's, I think that's probably, that was probably the thing that always centered the conversations were, you know, were the brands aligned on some level? I mean, any partnership, you're sort of looking to sort of step outside of your core audience, right? That's the reason you create a partnership is to tap into that other brand's audience, that other brand's equity. But there at least has to be a baseline of, commonality. That That is exactly it. And I think this emotion of or kind of value of authenticity truly does 
disperse itself from the respective brand partnerships down to the consumers. And I think, you know, people ultimately do want to just feel connected. And thanks to the pandemic, people realize now more than ever that human connections are truly irreplaceable and are truly necessary. So along those lines of this bridging of the gap between the brand partnerships and the consumers, were there ever any moments that you experienced in which there was brand misalignment with the consumer or even the market's needs? And if so, how did you combat this? I don't know that I, you know, I was thinking about when I saw that question, I was trying to go back and think, you know, did I ever find myself at a place where I really felt like, oh, we brought somebody on board that just wasn't right. I don't think there was ever that circumstance where it was that. I think what what did happen on a fairly regular basis, both at Warner Brothers and at Major League Soccer, was as our properties evolved, perhaps more so at Major League Soccer, because a lot of those those um, club brands were relatively new. Um, a lot of, I mean, the league as a total is only 25 years old, and a lot of our clubs were far less than that. They were five, you know, less than five years, 10 years old. As their brands evolved, and even in the entertainment industry, as as our needs evolved, we needed to make sure that our partners evolved with us. And sometimes that was a painful conversation. So if I went back as an example at, at Warner Brothers, again, when I was early days there, the whole idea of character merchandise and movie merchandise on a big scale was in and of itself a trend. So initially, that product didn't necessarily have to be all that uh, earth-shattering. It just the pro- you know the concept itself was the trend. But as that matured, then it became important that the product itself was also on trend. That we were not just to use a phrase in the industry logo slapping, and that the product was really thoughtful on trend that we had product that appealed to different segments of our target market. Uh, And like I said, that evolving that with our licensees was not necessarily a painless process because they had been used to a relatively simple and straightforward product development process that we were now asking them to be much more involved and much more integrated. So I think that makes sense. And that to me was more of the sense that I don't know if there was a misalignment in in actual partner choice, but there became moments in the partnership where we needed to realign. That makes sense. I'm curious then in your perspective, especially since if we're, if I look at the collegiate athletes these days and how their journey is essentially evolving with name, image, and likeness becoming more evident than ever before. In the event, or if there's ever a situation in which the brand and the athlete or an ambassador are faced with this, I guess, kind of fork in the road of whether or not they are aligned, what would you recommend for them to do? I think you still have to come back to what's true for your brand. And whether you're talking about a club brand or in the case of players, which has become you know, incredibly important over the last you know, several years, is their personal brands. Right? It's, it's extremely important as an athlete, and especially when they're looking at what does my post-career look like, um, building out and, and, and thinking about you know, what is your personal brand beyond you know, your role as an athlete is extremely important. 
And so I think there may be times when you have to say no uh, to a particular partnership that just doesn't make sense, even if, you know, it's, it's perhaps attractive from a financial standpoint. And certainly, you know, licensing is by definition a, a business proposition that has revenue attached to it. And, and uh, so that's obvious, that's an important component, but it can't be the only component. And so if you're looking at the long game, whether it's for the brand or for, a, for, a, for an athlete, uh, making sure that you know you're you're staying true to your personal brand and your personal values is incredibly important. Definitely, that's incredibly refreshing for me to hear too. Because something that I actually grew up with was this concept that purpose fuels passion and performance. So the actions that you take in your passion fulfills your purpose, and when you're living a life of passion and purpose, you're able to perform. And what's unique about, I think that's actually something my mother taught me. So uh, if she's listening right uh, during this, this episode, she'll be very proud. Um, but something that is, was so incredibly refreshing about what you spoke to is ultimately does kind uh, of drive down to the purpose, one's value, what they personally believe in. And when I think about just the incredible initiatives that Major League Soccer in itself was able to accomplish with partnerships with Adidas, EA Sports, Target, they were truly intentional about connecting with like-minded brands with similar audiences. So as executives are starting to think through kind of the, the why, how should we create these partnerships, do you have a recommendation on how they should approach this concept? I think it's about kind of what I described, and you're absolutely right, and this was actually something that the marketplace, you know, as much as, you know, we believed in that the marketplace also believed in it, and that particularly when it came to more so the sponsorship side of those relationships. So all of the partnerships that I was involved in obviously had some form of a product component to it, uh, whether it was a, you know, retailer like Target or, again, Adidas and, and EA. But there were also these were these were partnerships that were you know much more encompassing than just product. So I think it was about, and I think that is what they were looking for. So I think on the sponsorships side of those partnerships, uh, you know, several years ago, companies stopped being interested in sort of what I would classify as cookie cutter sponsorship, where it's you know field board signage and you know a suite for hospitality. They really wanted to be integrated into the mission of Major League Soccer. So whether that was underwriting programs that made sense for their brands or it was content creation that made sense. In other words, it wasn't just naming rights anymore. It was about, like I said, genuinely and authentically being integrated into the mission and helping to drive that mission forward, whether it was on a league level or it was for individual clubs that they had partnerships with. And that's really, that is when it, it makes the partnerships far more complex and challenging to be meaningful, but it's also far more rewarding and interesting to work on those types of conversations and those types of businesses. And that is powerful because ultimately when the brands are putting the mission, the purpose at the forefront of their partnership, that does, that actually is evident in the products and the uh, collateral, the marketing materials that the consumers are going to see. Yeah, exactly. And I, and it, and that, and to your point earlier, you said it, that authenticity comes through. And if it's not authentic, that also comes through. 
and you get called out on it very quickly. Oh, yes, you do. Yeah, the, the strange but incredibly exciting thing about marketing and branding is that it's constantly evolving. And in the world of sports, were there any challenges that you experienced or are there challenges existing today that brands should think about in connecting with audiences? Oh, gosh, yeah. I think, and again, I, I think part of what um, Major League Soccer especially is in such a growth mode, right? So unlike, and they're really in a very unique position globally, really, in the sport of soccer, when you look around the world, all the other leagues and all the other clubs that are out there have been around again for 100 plus years, very established. Same with the leagues, you know, the other sports leagues here in the U.S. That's not true of Major League Soccer. So I think that alone creates, uh, you know, when you're in this really nonstop growth trajectory, that creates a whole level of, you know, of, of involvement that is very different than any of your counterparts are, are working with. Um, so I think it's, it's you know, keeping track of that and making sure that as you move through that maturation process, whether it's on an individual club basis or the overall league, um, and the same was really true back in the entertainment properties when they started, you know, revisiting some of their core library brands like the DC Comics uh, superheroes and so on. It's making sure that to your point, you keep evolving them. Uh, as as the market changes, as you as you advance your audience, as you start inviting more people into that audience, you know, making sure that you are taking a step back on a fairly regular basis, and looking at you know is what we did last year still appropriate this year? That's very helpful. You know, speaking of this concept of almost like worldly market trends that are constantly evolving. Something that is actually very top of mind now more than ever is the concepts of diversity, equality, and inclusion. And hearing you speak about how Major League Soccer is ultimately in a growth mode of the U.S. Major Leagues, I mean, MLS truly has a competitive advantage. And when we're thinking about those concepts of DIY or DAI is what's incredibly powerful right now is that women's sports and women's soccer ultimately has the largest following globally. So what role do you see women's sports playing globally into the future? I think that they, again, they are, they've been in, in a place of really finding their power and their voice over the last, I don't know, quite a few years actually. Um, but I think it's been very visible in the last handful of years, and particularly the soccer, but even some of the other, you know, women's sports that are out there. And I think, unfortunately, we have seen some hiccups, right, recently along the way, um, even as recently as what's been going on with the NWSL, which is on some level very disappointing and very heartbreaking. But at the same time, it just speaks to the importance of maintaining that um, road and maintaining that trajectory. And it's not just, it goes beyond the sport. I think you said alluded to that earlier. Certainly the sport is important. It's a wonderful form of entertainment that brings people together, but it's also beyond that. It's about uh, girls and women being able to see role models, uh, stand up, take leadership roles, maintain those leadership roles, even when there's difficult 
times to get through, but finding and, and holding on to that voice. I think we have found in these last few years just how incredibly, incredibly important that is and that we, can, it ha, we have to maintain that. And I think sports is one area that plays a really key role in terms of visibility and uh, audience and uh, the power that, that, that uh, those athlete voices rec- you know, uh, have in the marketplace. Yes, definitely. So that's actually very unique. I've always heard about we need to be able to provide more awareness and and put these role models in place so that the next generation can actually see what it should be and what it can be. And I also also hear about providing and, and, and giving this opportunity for women to have leadership roles. But the one thing that I actually don't necessarily hear about, which now I'm looking back and I'm a little concerned that people don't talk about it that much, is the concept of actually maintaining it. Once you have a voice, once you are in a position where you can inspire change and provoke change, you have to maintain it. You have to keep it there. Um, so I'm curious then in your perspective, we have movements, but it's more powerful to take a movement and inspire the action. So what can we do today? What can we as society, as members in executive leadership teams, and also people who are interested in sports and entertainment and so forth, what can we do today to, that can support? Oh, gosh, <laughs> that's a big, big question. I think it's about making sure that we listen. And I think that that seems to be the place where um, we falter at times. So I think obviously there's been tremendous um, forward movement for women, for diversity, for you know all sorts of these these topics that were that are so at the forefront today. But I think part of it is we again where we seem to falter um, and where we've had you know moments that are not shining moments is when we haven't listened, when we haven't really listened, when things, when difficult conversations are brought up. And, you know, it, it, I think that has to be where you really stop and take a moment and listen when, when someone comes to you. And I've even had personal uh, situations where when I look back and when it was finally brought to my attention, where I, I was guilty of that, of, you know, in this drive to, to, you know, make the business happen and to, you're, you're so caught up in, in what you're doing on a day-to-day basis that you sometimes miss the moments to really listen to somebody who's coming to you with, you know, a concern or a, uh, a, an issue that they need counsel on, that they need help on. So I think, that probably, like I said, if I look back, it's about making sure that you don't lose sight of, you know, genuinely listening and, and paying attention. That definitely makes sense. And I think a lot of times or often people may feel like, oh, yes, like I can definitely listen. I'm constantly listening. But are you actually being very intentional? Like, are you actually listening? And what's funny is that they'll cut you off as you're asking if they're listening. Um, ironic, right? <laughs> Yeah, you're you're definitely right. So something that I actually just recently read in a book was that um, we need to be very intentional about ensuring that we're overcoming this syndrome of just letting life go through and just living life on autopilot. 
And the interesting analogy that they actually gave in this book, and I think it was actually by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, and he, he spoke about how, well, you know how in times we're in conversations and you go, hey, how are you doing? Or how are you? How was your day? And then you wait for a response. But then as I'm reading through this book and reading through this expert excerpt, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, do I actually listen to the response after I'm asking, how are you doing? Or am I just asking how people are doing because it's what society is telling me that I should do? The perfunctory, you know, opening line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, that's so true. That's exactly it. Well, then I, I guess kind of taking a 30,000 foot view too. I mean, do you think there could potentially be something larger or even more inspirational that sports can provide for young women specifically? For sure. And I think they are. I think we're in the middle of it. Um, and you said a little bit earlier that it's, a, you know, it, it, there has this tendency to think about, well, what we're doing is for the next generation. I actually, yes, that's true for sure. I actually think it's about this generation, every generation, the moment that we're in. Um, it's, it has become incredibly important uh, to stay present. And I think it's happening, like I said, as we speak. And we just need to make sure that we are doing everything to keep that conversation alive and moving forward. Um, like I said, even when it becomes difficult or even when we haven't been perfect at it. That's okay. We just need to acknowledge that and make sure that we keep improving. And I think, again, sports has been at the center of this. Entertainment is, has been at the center of this conversation on many levels in terms of driving awareness. Um, and, I, and I, you know, again, I think there is a, there's this, this thought out there, well, you know, sports and entertainment are exactly that. They're just entertainment. That's not true. They are platforms. And these, you know, the people that are involved, whether it's the athletes or, um, you know, folks in leadership roles on the commercial side of these businesses, um, these are incredibly high profile platforms that serve, can serve as an opportunity to, you know, drive bigger and more important conversations forward. And I think that's actually something that you spoke to earlier as well regarding holding on to the voice, keep the momentum going, keep the conversation alive. Don't put your foot on the on the brake pedal and also amplify the voices that are starting to become heard as well. Yeah, that's a really good word. Amplification. Mm -hmm. Very, very much what, you know, like I said, either sports or entertainment or any other you know, types of high profile uh, industries can provide. Most definitely. Well, future facing, any exciting things coming up that we can expect from you? <laughs> uh, actually, I'm kind of in, a, in a, a, a place of thinking about what's next. So I'm working on some projects, but um, so we'll see. I actually don't have a really good answer for that right now, which is sort of disconcerting for me personally. But uh, yeah, taking a moment and figuring out what's what's next. <laughs> Well, that's okay. That actually helps uh, everybody else uh, stay on their toes and kind of be at the edge of their seat waiting to see what's coming next. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> well, final question for you. If you could give advice to a young woman that is desiring to be a future entrepreneur or business executive, what would you share with them? I think probably what we were just discussing, you know, being a leader. So by definition, if you're sort of in the entrepreneurial mode, if that's you know, directionally what you gravitate to, I think you have this tendency to, to 
go in with the answers and and have a, have you already have a voice because that's sort of naturally what like I said what you gravitate to. But I think it's important as a leader to listen. So I've never had my the best things that have come out of my career have come from my teams, not from me. So it's surrounding yourself with people that you value and that are talented and then really reaping the benefits of, of that talent. And you can't do that if you're the only one talking. So I think, again, coming back to this concept of, as a leader, really doing a good job of listening and creating a, a, an atmosphere where your people want to talk, they want to share, they want to participate, they want to contribute. Creating a culture of opportunity. Exactly. Ooh, that was a much more succinct way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Mary Beth, for your time. And looking to hear more about what's happening in the health, wellness, and sports industry, subscribe to this podcast, and we'll catch you next time on The Drift.